You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. The 602 Club proudly presents Snyder Cuts, a Zack Snyder directorial podcast, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he is every single week, my baby doll. Really? That, that's the one you're going to go with? That's the well, one you're going to go with? Okay. All right, then. That's how this is going to go. Oh, well, you know, I've never seen you dance, though, so... Um... Well, it yeah, you know it. It would end probably in not horror. this good. No. <laughs> um, well, it uh, is my better eyes if ever, the guy goes to do nothing. <laughs> it, it would be a lot better when I dance if people did, in fact, uh, vacate to some sort of fantasy realm. So maybe that that's where it's similar. Or just had a lobotomy, I guess. You know. Yeah. So, well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, eh, we all cope in our own ways. It, yeah. <laughs> Well, we're excited to be here. Obviously, we're having a blast to just walking through all of Zack Snyder's directorial works. We're at Sucker Punch, as you can tell. Before we dive into everything, of course, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please give the 602 Club a star rating and review, which is where you can find Snyder Cuts. uh, And then we'll read that out on the show. You can also find us on Twitter at the 602 Club or on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We've got the website, trek.fm, where the contact section you can send us an email. We've got the listeners-only discussion group on Facebook where you can talk to listeners from all over the world. It's called the Babel Conference. Just search for that, and we can let you in. Okay, so, John, um, I would say this is going to be a fantastic episode in the sense that this is one of the few Zack Snyder movies, I think, where we're coming in very differently. So I'm going to go first real quick, just because for me, I've seen this before, but we're watching the extended cut. So I've never seen the extended cut until now. And I will also admit my first reaction to the theatrical cut, I wouldn't say was like super positive. Like it was, I guess it was okay at the time. I, I don't know if like, you know, when you were talking about watching, um, legend of the guardians you know you just weren't kind in the mood you know when you you started Mm -hmm. it and you just yeah i think that maybe what i don't know maybe that's what happened to me in that first one but it just i don't know this was one of the few Zack snyder movies where i didn't have a you know positive reaction to uh my first time to watch it so i'm really kind of fascinated to see then how you know is this your first time have you ever seen it before which version Mm-hmm. No, I've I've never seen it. I've never seen any version before. Uh, the reputation of Sucker Punch precedes it. I know that it's been absolutely savaged. I to you know before I watched it, I was like, oh, so, so where is it sitting on Rotten Tomatoes? Which, granted, is not the best sort of thing to go um, check because you know when critic when we agree with critics, they're brilliant. When we don't agree with critics, they're terrible monsters who are out to to eat our joy. As a wolf devours, uh, you know, helpless little red riding hood or something. But uh, I, so I think it's was it twenty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes uh, right now yeah, or something like it's, that. It's it's pretty low. 
Um, Which, for the record... The the glowing review from Sonny Bunch was not enough to yeah. you know uh, overcome the other critics. So, <laughs> well, what what's really interesting is I believe that it's either equal to or less than the critical rating of Star Trek Five on Rotten Tomatoes. We all know that Star Trek Five is is my shining north star by which to uh, figure out where other things are in relation. And mm-hmm. so I, I knew people that had hated it. I have friends where I, I have one friend in particular where I, every so often I would say, oh, you know what? I, I've never seen Sucker Punch. It looks kind of interesting. And his first response was, you're good. You don't need to see it. It's terrible. Oh, okay. Well, you know, and we all trust our friends and stuff like that. So yeah, I came into this cold. I mean, I, I knew enough about it to know what the concept was i i remember seeing ads for it and i remember not going to go see it um when when did this come out again 2000 was this 2009 uh it is 2011 2011 okay so yeah 2011 you know i i mean i'm in the throes of fatherhood by that point and you know it, it it's getting you know, it's it's getting busy and stuff like that. So this wouldn't have been top of the list. And it just sort of never rose up the ranks with me because of that reputation. You know, right. like we can all pretend that the reputation a movie gets doesn't affect us. And we're very open minded and it could very well be true. But when it comes down to it, and you've made your cue of things to watch and you have a choice between something that's getting raves and something that's 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. A hundred percent of the time you'll say, Eh, you know, I'd rather spend my hour and a half watching the thing that got the Oscar, you know? I don't know. You know, over quarantine, I did subject myself to some things like Masters of the Universe and Conan the Barbarian. Uh, so, you know, I... Okay, look, Masters of the Universe is <laughs> cheesy good fun, and Conan the Barbarian has one line that means it should forever be venerated as a great film, but only one line in in specific, so... so- give the line so at least we have some context conan what is good in life crush your enemy see them driven before you hear the lamentations of the women that right there that's the exchange that that, that, you're right that earns conan all of its all of its praise Yeah, just play that gif and you'll be good exactly Um, you know it it is interesting too because you know both of us coming into this you this is another movie where uh zack snyder's film theatrically isn't necessarily exactly what he would have released if it was his choice. Mm-hmm. So um, just a little bit of background then. The extended cut is um, more of the R rating that Snyder was going for. The movie was originally re- released as PG-13. Um, some of the big changes have to do with there's 18 extra minutes. So you've got the whole uh, dance scene. It was the end credits of the um, theatrical cut with uh, Oscar Isaac and Carla Gugino's, you know, number of Love is a Drug that was inserted back into the film where it was meant to be here. Um, you've got extended material in the fantasy sequences, especially with the World War One and the castle siege. Um, and then there's a really big difference between the way... The scene goes with John Hamm's uh, high roller and baby doll that connects with the reaction then that he has after he lobotomizes her. 
and that was the sequence that one of the sequences they put back in kind of really changes the dynamic there where um you know he does the the whole spiel about mm-hmm. you know him uh him really wanting her to give her himself you know herself to him willingly you know like he doesn't want somebody who doesn't want this that's not what he wants it's not what he's looking for so you know it's it's really interesting too because you know cider said too too that that's not this isn't even the full extent of the version he would have in fact you know there would be more musical numbers and everything if if he got his way with doing his full version so this is closer to his original version, but this isn't his director's cut. So it's as close as we're going to get right now, though. So you're saying that even with the extended cut, there is more footage that was shot and edited that was cut out before even the extended cut got put out. This isn't a difference in vision in that they said, no, you have to cut these musical numbers and not film them. The difference is that he filmed them and they still did not get reinserted in the extended cut. That's fascinating to me. I, I don't I don't understand why you wouldn't go whole, whole hog. hog with it. It it yeah. doesn't now did he because I cannot recall, did he therefore not approve of the extended cut? Was the extended cut a creation of the producers? Was it something where he walked or was it something where they like Alien Three, the uh the quote unquote director's cut, which is really an assembly cut, which is really a special edition, which is, you know, however you refer to the version that's not theatrical of Alien 3. Fincher was not involved in it, but somebody else came in and said, this is what he shot and I'll put it together to try to approximate what he was going for. Is it that type of situation or is the extended cut something that Snyder says, that's, this is good enough for now? Yeah, that's a question that I don't really have an answer to. When I was doing my research, I didn't really, um, you know, I, there was an article from Screen Rant that they had a pretty good definition of what it, you know, what wasn't there and, and what had been put back and, and, you know, all that. But I don't know. My guess is, is that Zach probably had something to do with it. Um, but that he really, I think there's a version of this that's in his head that the studio, I guess, just wasn't up for, you know? Um, so, which is, again, it's interesting because we're kind of getting to that point of his career where we're going to, um, you know, obviously once we get to BVS and, and just Justice League, it's the biggest examples of that, but here's a place where, uh, the studio does it to him where they just don't allow him to fully put his vision on screen. And who, and I think that's the thing is like, now I'm still wondering, does the movie still suffer because maybe even the extended cut might've gotten a better, uh, you know, rep if it had been released. Cause having seen both, I'd say I like I responded much better to the extended cut. Well, what's interesting is that 18 minutes is an eternity in terms of film. Uh, people, I think it's easy for all of us. I'm not saying me versus the world sort of thing. I'm saying myself included. There is such a marked difference in 18 more minutes of film. It's easy for all of us to forget because of the proportion of film to, you know, film shown 
we might say, oh, two or three minutes, whatever, you know, an hour and 57 minutes. What does that make a difference between two hours? It's like it can make a lot of difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I always go back to there was a movie and this is the weirdest thing to be stuck in my head. It really is weird because it's not even a movie that I've seen. But there was a movie called Sirens that came out in the early 90s, I think. Yeah, I know what and you're talking about. Yeah. Ellie McPherson was in it. Yep. Supermodel. Yep. Yep. And there was it, it created a big hubbub because she was nude in it. And I remember reading an article at the time saying it was 70 seconds of nudity in the film. And I was enough of a, a film neophyte at the time that the article took time to explain. That doesn't sound like a lot, but if they had gone, you know, X number of seconds more, they would have gotten a harsher rating and had to cut stuff. You know, so like mere seconds can make right. a difference yeah. in a film. Um, what jumps out at me is you mentioning how the musical number with like, I'm legitimately curious to watch the theatrical cut now because I cannot conceive of that musical number not being in the movie, the one with, that you mentioned with uh, Love is a Drug, yeah, and then being over the end credits. If it's over the end credits, that is a completely dissonant experience. It yeah, is com- absolutely. completely bipolar from what the film is trying to say at the end. No, I 100% agree with you, and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I just didn't respond as well to the theatrical cut back in the day, because you are left with this really strange place to be, whereas inserting it back into the film makes so much more sense, because this is the place to which, um, you know, Baby Doll and the rest of these characters are kind of, um, I guess, li- quote unquote, living. At least Baby Doll is. The, this is what her mind has done to this place, which I guess leads me to a really interesting question for you that I wanted to get to. So you've been walking through on House Lights, Nolan's work, right? And you guys just mm-hmm. talked about uh, today. I was actually listening to y'all's conversation on Inception. And what actually surprised me was is that this is the movie where I feel like Zack Snyder begins to pick up on some Nolan-esque qualities. Because this is the first time that, one, Snyder wrote his own material. This is the only film that he's done where it's completely only him. Um, This is all his idea. But the idea that in this movie we have three different layers to it was really interesting to me. Mm. And it kind of just reminded me a little bit of what Nolan had done in Inception, where you have the different layers of the dream. And in many ways, this is a different layer of a dream. Yeah. No, I, I that that was actually something that had jumped out at me was the whole layers thing. I don't I don't think you can see any film and not think of Inception at that point of, okay, so we're three levels deep. And then we just came up to the second level, but that's not the that's not reality uh, sort of thing. Um, and then at the end, there's of course the question: Did we ever actually leave the dream? Right. Or are yep. we still trapped inside of it? Which is both liberating and depressing, depending on how you look at it. Uh, you know, in, in those sorts of terms. What I found interesting is the fact that. There is very much a, uh, like, th- this is an incredibly 
I I don't know how else to put it, but there's there are two things that stood out. One, it's like an all female three hundred in a sense, and there's also the fact that this is an incredibly interesting intellectual beatdown of the way men treat women through history. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because it does what science fiction supposedly aims to do, which is not reflect reality or the way we think things should be, but put things in a different context to make us ask certain questions about how we perceive history or relationships or where things are going. It doesn't beat us over the head and just what a terrible movie this would be. And I don't mean terrible in terms of bad movie. I mean, what a, what a soul deadening, painful movie this would be if we watched the reality of what's happening to baby doll and the women in this institution, that story is there. And so what this does is this still presents those questions but dresses it up in metaphor and says, okay, right. figure it out. Figure it out. Because at the end of this, what's interesting is that you're left with the question of, okay, what did each of these things represent? What was actually happening here? Yeah, I, I, I love that you went there so quickly because I, I honestly think that's the most important thing with the film and it is definitely something that doing some research Zach specifically said you know he had already done pretty much the whole male movie and his desire was to do uh, a female led movie um, and in some ways the way you know we talked about 300 kind of deconstructing these ideas of like the anti-war war you know the anti-anti-war movie you know this is the look at not only the way that men have treated women in film but it's it's many of the ways in which we as a populace have looked towards film and women in film as well mm-hmm. like we 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 kind of go towards film and say we want this so we want objectification we want you know all of these type of things um and in some ways i think this is almost uh it's a sly critique even on um the porn culture too uh even though mm-hmm. i think that's a little bit less but you know it, snyder said he basically wanted this to be kind of like alice in wonderland with machine guns uh and the same thing with alice in wonderland being a layered metaphor for all of these things. This is definitely a metaphor, I think, for, and you nailed it, the way in which kind of men have treated women, and in many ways, the way in which men try to keep women in a specific box, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that was really strong, and I, I thought it was really interesting because, and I wanted to know if you agreed with this, You know, we talked a little bit uh, in watching about the sex scene there, the kind of the lurid nature mm-hmm. of it, right? Um, and our response to it um, and whether or not we thought it was longer or too long and all that kind of stuff. One of the things I was really impressed with with this movie is that instead of ever objectifying the women with the camera, we never do that in this film. These mm-hmm. girls are dressed up in 
these more, you know, sexualized outfits. But there's never a moment where the camera spends time accentuating that in the ways to which we're used to the characters having that done, say, in like, I'll just use the original Transformers movie uh, with, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Shia LaBeouf and, and Megan Fox. There's that classic shot where the camera just moves right up her body as she's leaning over the car. Mm-hmm. complete objectification of Megan Fox and that character, right? We're meant to think only one thing from her, which is sex appeal. Now, obviously, that movie kind of plays with that a little bit here, but this never does that. And mm-hmm. and so Zach is specifically choosing to not objectify these women, even though they're in these clothes, which would be easy for the camera to focus on certain body parts, it never does, and I was really impressed with with that being the case because, just case in point, we never actually see baby doll dance. We never see right. this amazing gyration of of body parts, right? That just leaves people absolutely speechless, which is a choice I think he makes because that is part of the message of the film, right? And I think that it can't be overlooked, and you, you touched on this that in terms of the industries that it's looking at. This is a critique of film and theater and dance in specific. This is, this is a critique of show culture in and of itself because she escapes to a reality that we typically associate with the rags to riches story and the great success of women in Hollywood. And instead it, it throws that additional, specter of the odious male producer who we know only too many of throughout history who treat women as if they own them that they are property of theirs that they your purpose is to make me money is to be a uh, you know an object for me to attract other investors and audience members that want to escape and make love to you sort of thing. And I I do uh, agree with you very much about the camera not lingering. And I enjoy the point you make about inception. But if we really want to go with sort of the way that uh, we were looking at, at, at Nolan through, through house lights is, is Nolan is a director. And I think we found this with Snyder as well that you can sort of see, not sort of, you can see where he's growing when he discovers how to refine his love of slow motion in, in high-impact moments. His love of the moment, of slowing it down and really just enjoying this tableau. Because there are tremendous tableaus in this film, again, Like, it's very obvious that Snyder sees pictures in his head, and he's going to get to that picture. Um, But I actually wrote down, and I don't typically write down stuff while while I'm watching, not in a a feverish rate like this, but it's at the 39-minute mark when the girls sit down in front of the mirror, and we're behind them. And they're looking at their reflection, and the camera keeps, keeps, uh, uh, you know, panning around them, and then it passes the mirror, and then you're 
they're still talking and there hasn't been a cut. And I know that there has to be some technical wizardry here that they've done or whatever. But now you're on the other side of the mirror. It's visually showing you this is not reality. Because through the looking glass. Right. But but it's it's so masterfully done that I actually appreciated it so much and how well it was done and kind of mind blowing because when I see something like that in a film and it takes me out of it for a second, not in a bad way, but in a good way to say, how did you do that? I have to figure out how I have to engineer in my head. I I have to write down that I have to go back to 39 minutes and figure out where you did the cut, where you, how you use the, the visual effect. Were you doing two cuts and then you mashed it together? Like that shot in specific, I want to sit down with Snyder and Larry Fong and say, walk me through it. I want to, I want you to draw for me. Use these little action figures and and a little, a little box representing the camera and show me where the actors and the crew were and how we got to that point. Because I think it's just, it's one of the most um, technically proficient moments I've seen in a film uh, in recent memory. It, it was just stunning. Yeah. And I, I like that you bring that up, the idea of just the way he's growing, because I, I think this is an evolution of what we saw in 300, mm-hmm. where... Zach is completely creating a world of his own. You know, this is this is like George Lucas on steroids, right? Like he everything is under his control. The way all the shots look, the the gradation of the color, everything is is it at his fingertips and he's creating a world whole cloth, right? Um in much the way that George Lucas did, except with all the technology at his fingertips to be able to do it in the way that he wants. And I I think that's something that, you know, I've heard people complain and, and always I don't want to talk about this too much, but I've heard people complain about the look of Justice League with that, that, oh, it just all looks so fake, right? Like it all just looks like, but Snyder is kind of a master, I think, of that, of creating an entire world, an entire look so you feel enveloped in this world. Like you're never lost for a moment in the sense that, you you don't feel a part of the world he's creating, right? And right. I think that here we're absolutely seeing growth from 300 to Sucker Punch where he is truly creating a world of his own and, and it is truly out, you know, Zack Snyder's Wonderland in the sense that everything is working together and and at that you've created three distinct worlds to which you are a part of in this film. And that's another masterful stroke as well, because each one has its own look and feel. Uh, and each one uh, is distinct enough. So you immediately know which one you're in, you know? So I think all of that combined with what you're talking about, like just the technical aspects of so many of the shots they create, we're really seeing an evolution of him as a filmmaker. And, it's it's kind of I mean it's kind of cool like you know even mm-hmm. just from two films ago he really has grown yes and it's it, it's difficult because I think we wind up overemphasizing uh, our appreciation for it um, which I think visually 
this film, it's hard to over overemphasize that because to your point, this is a film where I could watch any sequence in it, any moment, any, any moment at all, even a single shot. And I would say, if you gave me a multiple, multiple choice thing and Zack Snyder's name was on it, hundred percent of the time I'd get it. There, there isn't a single moment in this film that feels like somebody else's movie or even a compromise. Now there have to be compromises. I'm sure that he and Fong talk. I'm sure that the production designer, you know, he says, Oh, I want this. And the production designer says, great, go talk to the effects guys. I can't build that, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, and, um, I just think that it is to your point about the the world creation it is an unfair criticism and I I've grown to appreciate this as we've watched more of his his films it's an unfair criticism for people to look at it and say I don't like things that look like that therefore it's bad okay you don't like things that look like that that's actually great. That's fantastic. Because what it means is that you have a very easy visual cue in the trailer not to go. And that doesn't mean I want people to dislike or not go to Zack Snyder movies. Right. It means that if I see something, right, you know, uh, uh, just, just to take it to a, a funny place, um, the song Glory of Love by Peter Cetera from Karate Kid Part 2. If they ever put that on a trailer, I will never go see a movie that has that in the trailer because I know I don't like it. Never. I won't do it. So this is a guy doing his thing and he's got a crew that's making that vision happen. I don't agree with looking at it and saying it's bad. Just it, You just don't like it. Okay. That's fine. It's that's a totally to different taste. thing. Right. Yeah. Some some people like deep dish pizza. God bless them; they're monsters. But you know, to I each guess their I'm own. A monster, then, because I love you deep are. dish pizza. Yeah, of course yeah. you do. Of course you do. <laughs> so New York slice all the way. Period. I, I, hey, look, I'm Italian. I love all kinds of pizza. I love New York slice. Fair enough. I love the Chicago. I'll. I mean, pretty much if it's pizza, I'm going to eat it. And you know, so I, I'll I'll admit that I finally had a good uh, Chicago deep dish pizza. Uh, like a year ago. And I was like, it's not as good as New York, but yeah, okay. It, it, it's a bit now <laughs> at this point. So, so you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting thematically here too that this movie was doing is that it is showing the way in which this perpetual system of over-sexualization of women encourages a specific behavior in men mm-hmm. and it and not only that, but tied with the sequence in the World War One trenches, mm-hmm. you know, we have these men who are hollow. And mm-hmm. in many of the ways, what I had referenced in our conversation on legends was C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man and mm-hmm. Men Without Chests. They're hollow. And that this objectification, sexualization of women, treating them as property, all of these type of things basically makes men hollow beings. And I thought that was fascinating and 
really astute of Zach to see, you know, because I mean, and, and, and what's fascinating too is knowing, you know, Zach is married to Deborah Snyder, who is his production partner, incredibly strong woman, fantastic mm-hmm. woman, you know, so you can tell Zach has an incredible appreciation for strong, confident, competent women. And so you can see him pouring that into this movie saying, guys, your objectification of women, your sexualization of women and treating them as if they are only meant for one thing of sex is missing out and making you less than a man. Yeah. And, and, and then there's monsters and dragons and all of these beasts and every foe that they go up against is a, a horrific male creature of some sort. With the exception, of course, of the dragon and everything, but like even that is, you know, representative of that. Uh, you know, dragons are never, you know, they're fire and they're they're brimstone and they're pain and they're anger. And there's this so every mission, quote unquote, that they go on in this fantasy world, all has to do with the. You know, the the men get more and more monstrous as it goes forward. And that's happening while we're in this fantasy land where Oscar Isaac's character is the monstrous producer. And so I just think that it's it's really, you know, to your point, interesting, um, those sorts of portrayals. I, I think that there's also an interesting... Uh, that he took an interesting opportunity here to indulge as he did in Watchmen. And I, I pinged him for it in Watchmen um, to indulge that music video sensibility. I mean, the beginning of the movie is essentially a music video, right? And there are different music videos throughout it. And what's interesting is I think that they still, since the entire conceit of this film is to stitch those fantasies together, I think that's why it's more successful than when he does it in a, a film like Watchmen. Because it, in Watchmen, it felt a little wedged in there, whereas with this, it's the it's the bread and butter of the film. It's the thing that that comes together to create the arc that you're there for. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think it, here it works really well because it is so much a part of the film like it's intrinsically linked to what this movie is you know um and you have these incredible you know sequences where they've gone to that third level and you're living these outrageous fantasies of these girls being able to do the things that they can't do in real life but they wish that they could do you know one of the things that i i thought tied into that john was this idea that one of men's greatest weapons here against women is to turn women against women, to turn them against mm-hmm. one another. Um, and it's when women are united as a sisterhood together that, and they stand together that things go south. And that's exactly what happens in this movie. And that's exactly what Oscar Isaac's character is trying to keep from happening this entire film is he knows that if all these women were to unite against him, you know, they could, Mm -hmm. they could win, you know? And so it's, it's, this movie is really all about, you know, and we see these women with these, you know, 
fighting with swords and guns and all this stuff. But it's really about women picking up all of the weapons that they intrinsically have and using them together, which, which makes them stronger together, to not allow themselves to be treated like this. And I think that, that was really beautiful in this movie um, that we see that true sisterhood come out and it allows these women to accomplish something that allows at least one of them to quote-unquote escape this horrendous life let me ask you a question because i know that we've addressed several times about how this film deals with the objectification and treatment of women do you think that there is any sort of underlying rejection of the material because it was written by Zack snyder that he didn't have a female screenwriter come on to write it for him, but he chose to write it. Do you think that this film is more readily accepted if he doesn't do it that way? I'm not saying that I agree with that. I'm asking in a very non-confrontational, non-controversial, I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong sort of way. But do you think that it helps with the perception of the film if it were not written by him? I think that you've hit on something. I think that Zack Snyder had already created himself a um, aura that that especially with three hundred, mm-hmm. um, he already had a movie. I think that um, is misunderstood by many people because people were only looking at the surface. And I think that that happens with this film as well. Um, I think it's disappointing that that would happen because this is a man who is a father of daughters. Mm-hmm. He is the husband of an incredible woman. And to say that he cannot write a story um, to speak to these issues about what he feels men have done to women. I mean, I, I, I think that this is a powerful statement for a man to be able to recognize the way in which men have mistreated women over the generations and, 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 you know, throughout many societies through all of time, you know? And, and so, but I think you're, I think you are right that there's something about it coming from Zach specifically and him being a man that people do seem to just kind of dismiss it out of hand as if maybe he doesn't have something good to say about these issues. Yeah, I, I mean, that's sort of what I'm getting at. And it's not like I, I, I'm not saying I don't understand and I'm not saying that I reject anybody's criticisms out of hand at all. I, I want to be extremely clear about that. I I just think that you you actually said it perfectly that he has a reputation by the time this movie comes out that people have. I think that 300 is still with him. I think 300 will always be with him. To this day, one of the things people talk about is how ripped and buff and, and you know, macho his guys can be in And there's in more the objectification of the men in that movie than there, you yeah, know, well, like, for well, the most part. <laughs> I, I, just, I just think it's, it's interesting because of the way that it's, um, the way that it's constructed. There's no question that I think the male characters who are objectionable, who are terrible people in this film, I think that there's something to 
another man uh, knowing how to, especially when, when we're talking about something that's acting as a, uh, a commentary on show business itself. He's obviously encountered people like Oscar Isaac. And he's undoubtedly encountered people like, um, you know, uh, uh, what's, uh, you know, the high roller. Like, there are unquestionably men he has run across like this. And so there's, in a sense, there's almost a, a, a subtle calling out of attitudes that, that he's encountered. I can't speak for him. I didn't sit down and write it with him and I haven't interviewed him about it, but that's what it strikes me as whether intentional or not, you know, an, an artist always has a subconscious level at play. And I think that probably these, these character types, especially just the way that they look at the women and the way that they treat the women. I'm sure he hasn't seen anything on the level of what's done in this film, but I think that he very much has gotten performances out of the men that shaped how we see them. And that, you know, that brings me to something I praised him for previously, but he gets some incredible performances in this film. Like ridiculously incredible performances. You you mentioned Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, I I had no idea he was in this. And I'll go ahead and say it. I've said this before, but Oscar Isaac Holy Moses, like I, every time I see him in a project outside of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, the first thought that pops in my head is, man, that guy was wasted in the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Like I now, to be fair, I, I've said that about Boyega and Ridley as well. But like, it's just one of those things where I, I see Oscar Isaac performance here and I just, wow, it, it just sort of floors me. I think Carlo uh, Gugino is terrific in this. I think that she's great. And I, th- I think the, the female cast is uh, stellar. Like all of these performances are very rich performances. And I think Scott Glenn's performance. I loved it. I loved the, the whole thing of him coming back like an angel in each setup. It was just wonderful. We all knew that Scott Glenn was like the angel of light anyway. You know. Right. So, um, which is funny from his uh, Daredevil performance and, and all those kind of things. Obviously, too, I, I always loved him in, in Hunt for October. Uh, so Yep. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned Oscar Isaac, and I thought it was really interesting because this performance reminds me a lot of his performance in Ex Machina, where he plays oh. this kind of mm-hmm. likable and then utterly terrifying person at the same time. Um Really good, and I absolutely agree with you. I mean, Emily Browning and Abby Cornish and Jenna Malone and Vesta Hudgens and Jamie Chung, all fantastic. Carla is wonderful, as as always. I mean, the little tiny bit we get a John Hammond here is great, you know. Um, yep. you're like, everybody's giving a phenomenal performance, and I think you're absolutely right, you know. Not only that, but I mean, these girls had to go through intense training. Like, they did months and months and months of physical training to be able to pull off the roles that they did because of all of the action sequences they had to be a part of and the different weapons they had to be, you know, looking proficient with and all of those kind of things. And so, I mean, absolutely, Zach is 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 bringing out in people the best. So, 
I think that's going to be something that, you know, we'll see. And I'll honestly say, I think we see that in the rest of his films. We'll see, too. Like, he gets great performance for people, regardless of whether you like the movie or not. Everybody's top notch. You know, he's a he's a very good filmmaker when it comes to casting, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's there is absolutely no doubt about that. And I think his choice of music is is phenomenal. (laughs) I enjoyed the covers uh, that he had in here. Um, those are always a treat, uh, but he, he has a good ear and I, I think that can't be undervalued. I think he has a really, um, a, a good gift for picking the right music, uh, to go with his film. No, I agree with you there too. And so, uh, one of the things, John, that really connected with me in this film was something that, you know, we have, that we have the wise man say, um, Scott Glenn's character, he says that if you don't stand for something, yeah, you'll fall for anything. Mm-hmm. And that fits so perfectly with what we were talking about with Legend of the Guardians. Yeah. With this idea of if you have no foundation, if you have no foundational morality, you have no foundational story, if you have... If you have no foundation, you'll fall for anything. And I was like, man, what a, a, an interesting theme here to to see continuing in Snyder's films. The very next film, we have somebody just actually literally say that, you know, um, and it kind of I mean, I think it it plays into something that what we see with the way these men are treating these women we see men who really don't believe in anything um, beyond themselves and their own pleasure, you know, and that is a that is a pinpoint that I think Zach is going to get at with culture throughout the rest of his movies of this danger of not having a foundation in something that's strong enough to hold that foundation and being wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, really good. Yeah. I, I mean, it is. I can't really add to that. Uh, it's 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 interesting as well because we we talked about previously how Watchmen is the the end of a chapter in his work of the idea of a world without God, without faith, and then we pivot. We seem to pivot after that. And you have Legend of the Guardians. And I think now you have this about the importance of believing in something. Of, And that, you know, this film says very specifically at the end, it's you. You are your hero. You need to go. And like that's a, it, it wound up being a very powerful message. I, I was caught completely off guard that if you even strip away all of this other stuff, that we're talking about, you know, the way men behave badly and throughout history and all of these things, you get still at the end that you're never helpless. You can, it's, it's like that Rocky sentiment fight, keep fighting, never give up, never give in. And that's the difference. And it is meaningful. It's very meaningful. It's it's a necessary. It's one of the necessary features of all of our storytelling throughout history. Don't give up. Keep going forward. 
You got to, you know, you're going to get dealt bad hands. You have to keep working at it. You have to believe that somebody else will help you because that's, I love that whole flip at the end where baby doll says, it, it wasn't me. It's your story. I'm just along for the ride. I mean, I'm obviously not quoting directly, but when she realizes the sacrifice is her and she says, you, you're the one who has to carry forward. I'm doing this for you. It's not for me. That is a very powerful sentiment that seems to carry forward through his films from this uh, point forward as well. Well, and, and I love that you're going there because I think, you know, something else that Scott Glenn's character says is that for those that fight for it, mm-hmm. life has a flavor the sheltered will never know. And yeah. it's that fight not just for yourself. Like you said, right. Baby Doll realizes this fight isn't about her. It's about her being able to save somebody else. Yep. It's about um, being willing to give our lives for somebody else. And that's an interesting theme, obviously, because that's going to play into the rest of Zach's works as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, are we willing to truly sacrifice everything we love and that we we stand for? Are we willing to put that all on the line? And make the ultimate sacrifice. And so, you know, I think there is such a beauty to that because what this this movie has to say, I think, is is sadly missed on so many people. And I thought that what was beautiful about it at the end, too, is that it doesn't say that all men are like this because we do have Scott Glenn's character at the very end of the film being the bus driver who's willing to be the man who stands up for the woman in need. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he's her savior. He's just on her side. Right. And it's so important. It's so beautiful because it's not an us versus them thing. It's right. we're in this together as a species and we have to treat each other with respect and dignity to which we all deserve because we're created in God's image, right? Like that's the beauty of what this says. Like there is mm-hmm. a way to do this. There's a way not to do this. And you can even be a hollow man or you can be a man that is completely full and, and a part of this fight together with women, not against women. And I yep. think there's there's a and, – and in that, it's a fight for humanity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I mean, the thing is, what's interesting is, is we're, we seem to be in agreement on this film. Um, this is my first time seeing it at all. This is your second time, but you're seeing a different cut. Uh, my question to you is this before we write, you know, jump into what we're going to rate it. What have you? I have purposely not given a rating, and I didn't speak to you before we recorded. You asked me. It's true. You asked me about it, and I said I'm not saying a thing until tomorrow. Um. So, given the fact that we know now about the three different, the quote unquote three different cuts, or at least three different visions. Number one, do you have a desire to see a quote unquote Snyder cut of this film? Because sometimes directors can keep adding too much. And, you know, sometimes directors have to be reined in. Somebody has to take their hand off the steering wheel and say, no, 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 you got it. Stop. You know, you don't need to paint anymore. It's okay. Um, 
do you have a desire to see a Snyder cut of this film? And what do you rate it? I think I would love to see a Snyder cut just out of curiosity, honestly. You know, I, I think having experienced his directorial cuts, they've always been better for me. You know, like, and and so I would be interested to see if it made it better. Now, I will say this extended cut, I think, makes the movie better. And even through this conversation, I was waffling on where my rating was. I, I'd put it on Letterboxd and I'd give it a certain rating. But I honestly think because of the conversation we had, I, I don't know if anybody could hear it in my voice. A little, little emotional in some points just because of the, I think, the subject matter. Um, and for me, heartily agreeing with, with what I believe Zach is saying about this subject um, and how important I think it is. I, I, I have to give this four and a half out of five stars. I, I think this is, not a, this is not a perfect film. Um, uh, you know, and I don't know where I would change it or what I would do to it, and maybe it's just that maybe I can sense that there's still some room for movement for Zach to be able to do some things with, you know, maybe that's what it is. But I just, I really responded to this movie uh, in a way that I did not expect to, because I came into this movie, not liking it very much. Uh, I think it was like at a two and a half, maybe three stars when I came in from, so like your experience with the, the the theatrical cut and then the director's cut of Watchmen, I've definitely shifted on this film. And so absolutely, that's where I land with this. So I'm fascinating because I don't know where you're going to land. Obviously, we've had a great conversation and we've been in agreement for the most of this, this podcast, but I don't know where you're going to come down star rating wise. So where are you, man? Well, first, I'll answer the question about the the Snyder cut of this, I would be interested, but I wouldn't want him to tinker with it because I think this is a five star film. Wow! I, it blew That's me amazing. out of the water. I I was not expecting this. I was not expecting Sonny to. Bunch I, was right. <laughs> even even in, in all seriousness, knowing the reputation that it had, and even given that, and everybody can say that they don't. But they do. Given that something with a terrible reputation, there's always a contrarian impulse that gets activated immediately. Oh, yeah? You think it's that bad? Well, guess what? Plenty of times you can walk into RoboCop 3 and say, they were right. It was that bad. But this, I, I, I hesitate to see the theatrical cut because I'm horrified to think of what it was like. Just, to, you know... I don't know how you take that musical number, Love is a Drug, out of the film. And I also don't know how the hell you end the film with it. Like, who made that decision? That's insane. That is, that is an absolutely boneheaded, bonkers decision. That in and of itself would have knocked a whole star off of this, if not... I, like, I can't even imagine a cut of this film like that. I don't want to. Um, but yeah, I, I wound up with five. I, I, I loved it from beginning to finish. I thought every bit of it worked. I thought that 
everything took the right amount of time. I was impressed with the level of animation and homage that was done in a fresh and original way. I loved the fact that it was done in, it didn't care what reality was like because it was just nuts. I was proud of myself because I noticed John Hamm in the beginning. And when he showed up as the, the high roller, I said, Oh, I get where this, I get what this is. And then you mentioned in the theatrical cut, they cut that out. That that gives so much punch to to what happens to her. Yeah. So yeah, much I punch. Agree. And it actually gives some agency back to her. Um and then the ending with that narration, but also with, you know, Scott Glenn being the bus driver was a great moment. Uh with her getting on the bus and going off and you're left with the question, is this still the dream? Is it reality? Did she really get away? What happened with her? I wanna know. And then to end with that perfect little monologue and then ending with it's you, it emotionally was very impactful at the end. And I, I just think it's one of those things where I don't think that the, the rest of the discussions are going to go necessarily the way you want them to, but. I can Are say you Luke Skywalkering me right now. This is not yeah. going to go the way you think. Yes. Well, with less hair, um, and uh, and you, I, you I never know, though, man. It you could surprise yourself. So uh, with hair, no. I mean that with, would be great. With your I'm, reaction I'm gonna... after the experience you've had. I we'll see. That's all I'll say. <laughs> we'll see. Um. But yeah, I like this is this is the type of film where if this were the first and only thing I saw from Zack Snyder, I would say I want to see everything he's done. What what uh, what else is happening here? What what else is this guy doing? And honestly, when you go back through everything and I'm looking at this this journey and you know, 300 is a five-star film. This is a five-star film. Uh Watchmen the director's cut is a four-star film like there and legend of the guardians is a four-star film Snyder's output up to this point in the conversation is far superior than his reputation with certain uh, film cultists would have you believe. So I, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I love it. Like, uh, you know, up to this point, I would say we've made you a Snyder fan, which is really oh, cool. Sure. And yeah. I, I think, you know, it, it's it's warmed my I mean, it, it just it brings warm feelings to my heart, as Yoda would say, uh, <laughs> to, to hear you so effusive about Snyder. And and, and it, it, it but it, the thing I love about this podcast is that, you know, we both come in at very honestly. And, you know, again, I didn't expect to have this reaction to this film. I came in in a place where it was like. Uh, like two and a half, you know, like, and it, yep. it just completely changed. And so I guess what we ha need to do now then as, as always at this point, we, we need to get our rankings in. And so Ooh, I want you to go first as, as to what you would rank then the Snyder films. Okay. Uh, I, you know what, for some reason I'm never prepared for this. I never think to write this down because it's like, what the <laughs> heck? Right? Like I know this is coming. So, okay. So I'm going a little bit off the fly here. Um, 
300 is probably still in my top spot just because I get such a kick and a thrill out of it. But it's kind of a horse race with Sucker Punch. Like, those are his two. It's pretty cool, man. Great works right there. Um, Legend of the Guardians, Watchmen, and um, Dawn of the Dead. And the thing is, I could see Watchmen and Guardians, you know, flipping back and forth, but probably I'm always going to like Legend of the Guardians a little bit more than Watchmen. Um, just because I think that it, I, I think, like I said in our, our discussion of it, right, it's always, it, it's number four with an up era, whereas I think Watchmen is just going to hold steady at four, you know? Um, and it's it's fascinating because Dawn of the Dead, I was... I had a better reaction to this time, but it is so obviously the, like if I compare that to sucker punch night and day between what he's capable of and what he's, what he accomplishes. Oh yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, that I can just heartily agree with you. So I I think right now, 300 still reigns supreme. Um, obviously for me, that is in a dead heat with Watchmen in the sense that those could alternate. Um, but then for that next position, it's, but dead heat between Sucker Punch and Legend. <laughs> like those are, I, you know, and, and completely surprising in that way, you know, that, that Sucker Punch would have become a film to which, is is rivaling itself for the best of Snyder so far, mm-hmm. you know, like, and and I mean, it could even be more in the conversation that it's more rivaling three hundred and Watchmen, but I think it's it's gonna stay rivaling Legend, uh, and then you know you've got Dawn of the Dead at the at the end right now, um, but you know, it's it. It's just so much fun, you know, and, and I'm, I'm so excited to, to you know, we're, we're going to dive into Man of Steel, we're going to dive into Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition, and then we're going to get to Zack Snyder's Justice League, and I'm, I'm so excited, you know, to be able to do that, and, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait, you know, this is, uh, we were texting back and forth, as we often do throughout just about every day. Um, and I was just like, man, I just look so forward to, you know, we record on Thursday nights together to do this. And I just look forward to it because I have so much fun. And honestly, it's been such a surprise up to this point as as to your opinions and in, in, mm-hmm. in watching those kind of like blossom. So um, if people want to catch up with you, though, John, and maybe talk a little more Zack Snyder with you uh, or anything else you've got going on, where can they find you? Oh, nobody should want to do any of those things, but I'm Kessel Junkie on your social media network of choice, uh, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. It's better to go for Letterboxd or Goodreads. I have a little bit more fun on those platforms than the other ones. Um, You can find me actually over on the Nerd Party, appearing on the aforementioned House Lights, uh, where we, you know, pick directors and we we do sort of what we're doing here, uh, where we just look at their works and everything like that. And you can find me regularly appearing on Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast uh, with uh, an esteemed co-host by the name of Matthew Rushing. So, Matt, where can people find you? Well, uh, you could find me on social media under the name Matt MattRushing02. 
if I am on that platform, that's the name you'll find me under. Uh, of course, you could find me uh, all over the place, podcast wise, here on the network doing the 602 Club, the main show uh, where we're talking about all the fandoms we love. John's frequently a guest over there. We're, I mean, literally talking about as many fandoms as possible. Yes. You can also find me <laughs> doing uh, shows over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, not only doing aggressive negotiations, but I do Owl Post with Ray Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. And we are legitimately, I keep saying this, but we're almost done with that series. We've got like, I think, eight episodes left. So it's crazy. So um, wow. as that yeah journey comes to an end. So, but uh, you know what, guys, just we want to say a huge thank you for joining us. This is Snyder Cuts. Snyder Cuts.